I've got something I wanna share with you guys uh, uh, from the scriptures, but before that, uh, we'll set the tone uh, with this right here. Let's, let's roll this, here we go. We got rid of Aunt Jemima, we got rid of Uncle Ben's, but I am wildly triggered by the brands and the photos that I see in this grocery store. Using a polar bear to sell your ice cream, Klondike? You know polar bears were extinct? No thank you, canceled. Paw Patrol mac and cheese. Listen, defund the police, defund Paw Patrol. V8, you know what kind of emissions an engine like that puts out into the environment? I drive a Prius and that is canceled. Okay, I don't exactly know who this guy is, but I don't like his look at all. I don't like anything that this guy stands for, canceled. White rice, brown rice. Why they gotta be separated? Think about it, canceled. Uncle Ben's absolutely offended by that. Listen, do I know any minorities myself? No, I don't, but I feel very confident speaking on their behalf on the internet. Hola, Tapatio. Una pregunta. You ever heard of cultural appropriation? Cancel. Oh, look at there. It's a woman leading a cow against its will to the slaughter. Selling popsicles shaped as bullets. Wow, absolutely canceled. Blue Ribbon, everyone's a winner. Thank you, that is the only brand of ice cream I will support. Rebel Ice Cream, wow, why don't you just change this to Soldier in the Confederate Army Ice Cream. <laughs> uh, I just played the first minute. Uh, he's got like five more minutes of that, so. Uh... <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, cancel culture is kind of an interesting thing that we've watched in the past few years. And it's something that has actually, I think, affected some pretty important stuff. <clears throat> One of the most important uh, problems with the whole cancel culture thing is um, perhaps what it's done to men. And I, I wonder sometimes, is it, has it hurt men because of fear or just because we're indifferent? Or maybe even, you know, the, the bit of apathy has kind of kicked in. Well, if you don't want us to say anything, if you don't want us to do anything, if you want us to pipe down, whatever, cool. Uh, let everybody else do it. Um, and I'm concerned a little bit about uh, where we are with this whole thing. Cancel culture is, is when, you know, if, you're, if, you're having, if you've had your kind of, uh, you haven't seen news or what's going on in the world, uh, when, when an unpopular statement or opinion uh, results in drastic efforts to silence you, or banish, or punish, or um, you know, um, take you out to be forgotten. Whatever it is, um, you know, the offending party they'll they'll you know take you out, and that that's what they do is they cancel you. Um, now the problem is here's another thing we have to say as a caveat is some people were canceled because they did really bad things. You know, like if it's if it's a legitimate bad thing, um, then you can kind of see why, you know, Bill Cosby uh, was sort of canceled uh, and went to prison. Um, uh, things like that, uh, Weinstein, Epstein, uh, the, you know, the Me Too movement, you know, some people kind of put those in the same categories, cancel culture, but I'm talking about more of an ideological sort of canceling. Um, it's amazing, you know, that when you saw what happened during COVID, when doctors would try to say, well, we're not really sure it's what everybody's saying it is, cancel. Like that guy was erased, you know, or um, you know anybody who had an opinion uh, contrary to uh, the powers that be, they would be canceled. And and one thing for sure, you know, if you said something in the wrong circle of people, uh, you could get in real trouble. Uh, you would be canceled. Uh, you'd lose your job or what have you. And so we've we've kind of seen this uh, this thing that's happened. And a lot of the cancel culture it has 
actually been targeted toward men. And so that's why at this Ironworks, I wanted to touch on a topic that I think is really important. Um, along with cancel culture, we've seen toxic masculinity, misogyny, the Me Too movement, and some of these things that have made men just kind of go, wow, man, whatever you do, uh, lay low, don't do anything, don't say anything. You don't want to be on anybody's radar. Um, and, and so we have to give it to the, there's obviously bad behaving men, and I'm not gonna make a case for them at all. Um, but somehow the current culture all men, and this, this is by the way what, um, boy, we could get into Marxism and what Karl Marx talked about and Saul Alinsky and some of this weird stuff about what we're seeing in our culture where you kind of lump everybody into either the oppressed or the oppressor. And if you're part of the oppressor group, then the, uh, then the oppressed you know, is gonna dominate uh, over you and you're gonna be canceled, taken out, rubbed out, whatever it is. And it's all perceived. It depends on what your perceptions are and what have you. But, but this lumping groups together is what happens. Um, you know, and, and that's the problem. Uh, for example, if you read, read the book White Fragility, um, which I have, um, it basically leaves no room for repentance or redemption. Like, you know, you're just, you're just kind of bad. You're in the bad category automatically. And it's, it's, that's, what, that's what's happening in our culture is just kind of split groups of people up, say these people are all bad and these people are all good. And, it, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Interestingly, um, if you're a man, you're automatically in a lot of circles, you're already, uh, you know, horrible. You're a bad guy. And there's other uh, uh, attributes we could talk about if you're a man who's this or a man who's that. You could be in real trouble depending on who you are. But this has been happening for quite a while. We've been watching this worldview sort of, um, you know, uh, get, get kind of crazy, really. We're seeing crazy stuff. But, you know, in some ways, um, I, I wonder if, if what we see today with this lumping of people and groups and stuff, we see it all as kind of this new thing that's happening in the world. But I was kind of thinking about history a little bit. And as it turns out, throughout history, um, there have been sort of the cancel culture kinds of things. Um, you know, in, in some ways you could talk about World War II and the way the Nazis went about it. Um, they did the same kind of tactics and what have you. Um, and, and really, if you think about world history, maybe there was more of this than what we even kind of think about. We think of it as a new thing, but maybe, maybe actually us having uh, decades of somewhat peace and support and people getting along, maybe that's the rare thing in history. What most you and I have known in America for the past 50, 60, 70 years, maybe that was not as much the norm throughout history. Um, maybe don't call it cancel culture. What if we called it persecution? Um, you know, the church was greatly persecuted uh, through most of its uh, life and existence. The millions of Christians that have been persecuted throughout the ages and canceled, you know, and the early church, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, man, you'd be canceled unless you said Caesar is Lord. And, you know, for like three centuries, the, the early church was heavily persecuted, burned at the stake, fried on barbecue grills, um, you know, stoned to death, uh, hung like you know, camel, candles in the, in the street, you know, dipped in hot wax, these Christian people. Um, talk about being canceled, uh, but persecution is kind of part of that deal. So what we're seeing is, is sort of the beginnings of maybe what, what really most of history has already known. Uh, you know, we have a lot of, uh, of the Slavic community that go to Athey Creek, and I, some of the older uh, Slavic uh, men in our church are saying, Brett, don't you guys see what's happening here in America? Especially the guys that did time in, in the Soviet Union and saw how that kind of worked out. 
Um, they're saying the same kind of attitudes uh, are, are creeping in and the same dangers. And, and meanwhile, it seems that a lot of American men we're just kind of content to say, ah, well, whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> I, gotta, gotta, I guess we're being canceled, whatever, uh, you know, it'll fix itself or, and it's all gonna work out as long as I'm happy, uh, you know, everything's good. And I, I do wonder, is there something we should be concerned about as Christian men? Um, and you say, Brett, you're, you're getting into politics. Uh, this is political. No, I believe that the problem here uh, is deeply spiritual. And we're seeing uh, something that's going on in our culture where we're watching our kids bail on faith. Um, and and uh, the younger generation, Gen Zers and millennials are leaving the church, you know, capital C, by the droves. Uh, you know, at Athey Creek, we kind of see a nice blend of young and old here. And we're, we're so thankful for all the different age groups at Athey. But, but by and large, the church around the, the world is, uh, is shrinking ever so quickly. And that's the problem. You know, so this idea of persecution, you know, it's not new. It's something that's been around for a long time. Scriptures like John 15, 18, uh, Jesus reminded us this. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, uh, um, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Um, we shouldn't be surprised as Christians that the world hates us. Um, and, um, and the reason that's, that almost, you know, somebody's like, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense and it's, that's not a newsflash. But in some ways, I think our attitude is more, well, it's a newsflash because, because the world really largely hasn't hated you know, Christian American men for decades. Um, in fact, in the United States, uh, even when I was a kid, if you were a Christian American man, patriotic, Love the Lord, went to church, you know, paid your taxes, just lived as a, that was kind of a celebrated dude. That guy, well, he's a good, good dude. And, and we were happy about that. But today, if you're a Christian man who loves Jesus, is following the Lord, um, you're part of the problem. You've been clumped into a group that is, um, I think, um, we're right on the edge of perhaps seeing things like real persecution perhaps coming our direction. Uh, Paul warned young Timothy, and I think we're seeing some of this. Um, he reminded, you know, Timothy of Janas and Jambres. Do you guys remember who those two dudes were? They were the two um, magicians from Egypt that were able to sort of duplicate some of the, you know, um, plagues of Egypt. And the funny thing about the Janus and Jambres, Moses would do something and then they would say, we could do that too. And they only added to the problem every time, uh, which is kind of funny when you think about that. Uh, they turned water into blood. Hey, we could do that. And they, they took the only water they had left and turned that into blood. So we could do it too. Yeah, but that was our last water. Um, you know, and stuff like that was kind of funny. But it says, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest or made known unto all men as theirs also was. Um, was Janus and Jambres folly made known to all men? Yeah, probably right about when Pharaoh's army was sinking in the, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was completely wiped out. You kind of go, oh yeah, those guys were on the wrong side. In the same way, Paul is saying, that's what's gonna happen at the end of the whole story here, that um, those that are men of corrupt minds and reprobate concerning the faith, we have a lot of those in the world today. Um, and fewer and fewer men that are uh, you know, following after the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
Um, but someday there's gonna be a revealing of who was correct on this. That's what Paul is reminding. But he goes on, uh, that's verses eight um, uh, uh, and nine. But you go to the next verse, verse 10, it says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, uh, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And, and, and check out verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Um, uh, interesting phrase. This is a promise of the Bible. I always kind of joke around. You know, it's a promise of God's word. Tape that to your rear view mirror or your mirror when you're shaving. Uh, all who live godly will suffer persecution. And then uh, verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, you and I are men living in a unique time where I think this is happening exponentially. We're seeing evil men that are seducing. And, and how, is it, how is seduction happening? Oh my goodness. We could talk about all kinds of evil seductions in our world today. You know, um, uh, Paul would tell Timothy, you know, perilous times will come and there'll be this, these seducing spirits that would be around in our latter days, in the last days. Seducing spirits that go around just, you know, wooing men to uh, be tripped up. And man, we could talk about all the seductions of the evil one. But it says in those, in the, there's coming a time where evil men, seducers, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so you and I as men watching stuff that you kind of scratch your head, why, why don't we know what a woman is anymore? Um, answer, evil men, seducers, waxing worse and worse. Um, you know, why is it that our, our daughters are in the locker room and other boys are coming into those locker rooms and nobody cares? Seduction, worse and worse, decep deception, uh, more, and more, more and more people being deceived. Um, it's amazing how people can be convinced of stuff. And um, I've found that one of the tools throughout history is uh, the tools of greater fears. Uh, it's amazing how people will comply with stupid things um, if they have something else that they're afraid of. Um, you know, I think we saw that with coronavirus. Everybody was horribly afraid of coronavirus. And so, man, the powers that be will use that. You know, you never let a crisis go to waste, as the other side would say. Uh, you know, let's make sure and use that to grab power and what have you. We're, we're watching that. And, and it's funny, even though, you know, that, that's largely passed right now, there's still people hanging on uh, to their power and what they were uh, sort of doing back then. This is what we're seeing. So here's the problem that I'm concerned with is because um, a lot of us as men, we've been watching this, seeing what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, we've had, I mean, it's, it's real. It's, it's real. We've had, uh, you know, police officers in our church who moved to other cities because you just can't be a police officer in the Portland area anymore. Uh, you, uh, if you're a police officer in Portland, we love you, we support you, but we also think you're crazy. If you're a police officer in the Portland area, you, you, you're a whole nother level of, I don't know, uh, insane or brave. I'm not sure which one you are, uh, but it, it is, it's crazy. Uh, there's no support from the community. You're, you're the bad guy. Um, if you do the right thing, people will hate you for it. Like it's a, it's a really weird day when we're seeing this in our culture, you know, and, and that's part of the deal. By the way, the, the last days, it says that lawlessness 
will prevail and lawlessness will come from actually um, the Antichrist himself. That's gonna be part of his MO is he's gonna be into lawlessness. And, and, and you know, most of us sit around, man, how does defund the police make sense to anyone? But they, they did that a couple years ago, what was it, 2020, they started talking about defunding the police, like that's gonna, gonna be a great idea. And, and now we're all who knew it was a bad idea, we're all saying, yeah, look at homicides up 5,000% or whatever it is now, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's crazy. Um, you know, right now, this year, um, we are seeing the most police officers killed in our history, in the history of the United States. More police officers killed this year in history. We're well on our way to that this year. Uh, that just, uh, it was a big news item this past week. Um, and so because of that, you know, we see, we had military guys, you know, um, eighth degree, we had special forces, guys that were like right at the end of their 20 year stint and serving in special forces. And because they wouldn't get the vaccine, the military's like, yeah, you're out. Um, uh, we had one guy that, a uh, good friend, uh, eighth Creek guy that um, he was in his last, like he had a month left and they said, you either get the vax or you're not gonna get your retirement. And he didn't want the vax. His family didn't want the vaccine. Uh, he, uh, you know, and um, and so he he did he 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 realized that I got to provide for my family. So you know, I'm going to risk all and get the vaccine. And he's one of the guys that got the vaccine. It put him right in the hospital. He was in the hospital and 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 had some real complications from the vaccine. Like it, it was kind of a crazy situation. And you feel so bad for people that are uh, kind of hit by this. But it was enough to where a lot of us saw stuff like this going on. It was enough to make us think, man, this, this stuff is real. There's real problems. And, you know, try to find a new doctor here in the Portland area. Uh, if you want to get a new doctor, good luck. Uh, if your primary care physician uh, quit or moved and now you need to get a new one, good luck with that. Uh, and it has, there's, there's some really funny things that nobody's really talking about, but where did they all go? Where did all the primary care physicians go? There's some interesting things going on there uh, as we speak that's kind of interesting. But all that to say, for today's discussion, here's the question. Is it possible that the men of our culture have been shamed, um, and I, I would say particularly Christian men, have been shamed into being cowards um, who uh, are, are really afraid to stand up and say anything? Like I'm concerned that there's a large majority of Christian men that are like, yeah, whatever you do, don't make waves, don't say anything that's controversial, you know. Um, but but in doing that, are we the ones who are ruining everything by not saying what we should be saying, by not standing up? You know, it, it's it's almost like if you're a man who shows up at a school board meeting and says this is wrong, man, you're like you're going to go viral, and because uh, there's so few guys that are doing it. Uh, there's all kinds of videos out there and YouTube videos of, of once in a while a guy will stand up. And, and you know, uh, the problem is it, if there's one guy doing that, you know, there's a few people watching on YouTube going, oh, good for him. But the rest of the world, they'll cancel him. Cancel that guy, make his kids suffer if he's in the school. And he just mentioned that, yeah, I kind of don't like boys in the, in the girls' locker room at, at my daughter's school. Um, th there's, there's enough to where most guys are just sitting around in the community saying, ah, oh, poor guy's probably gonna get canceled because he said the right thing. But what would have happened if all the dads in the school uh, manned up and said, yeah, this is wrong? Um, and I do wonder if maybe we're missing what the Lord has actually called us to be as men, is it possible the men of our culture have been shamed into being yellow bellies, 
as the old cowboy movies uh, called it. Uh, I wonder, uh, I just worry about that. Um, fear is something that we as men of faith should not be fearful. Um, we should be bold in our faith. We should speak the truth, yes, in love. We should speak the truth in love, but we still need to speak the truth. And, and, the, and you know, it's funny because men, have, we've been kind of put down for years and even decades where it's like, yeah, why say anything? Why put your neck out on the line? I'm just gonna kind of be quiet, say nothing. But I would ask, how's that working out? I kind of worry that we, we, we've become the man of judges, you know, chapter four, verse eight. Remember when Deborah was the prophetess? Why was Deborah chosen by the Lord, you know, to lead the children of Israel and the armies of Israel during the time of Judges chapter four? The reason? Men were total wimps at that time. There were no man, there was no man standing up saying, I will lead Israel. So the Lord says, well, if, I'm not, if there's no man, I'm gonna use a woman. And if you remember the story, Deborah finally gets the guys together and, and she goes to Barak and she says, the Lord's gonna give you victory. Barak, go out and fight the battle. And you remember what, what Barak said? I'll, I'll put it up there, Judges 4, verse eight. Barak said unto her, if thou will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. Uh, I, I, I might be reading into his voice tone a little bit, but uh, what a wimp. Like this guy is the wimpiest guy in all the Bible. He's hiding behind the skirts of Deborah. But you know what's interesting? Here's what I, I'm just maybe, I, this isn't a scientific study that I've done, but I'm seeing women standing up in school board meetings. I'm seeing a lot of women, even in our church, women who are trying to do a little work against this culture that's canceling things that are important. But I, I don't see a lot of men doing that. I, it's definitely, a, the ratio is way off on that. And I wonder if, I, you might just ask yourself, is my wife more engaged in what's going on in our culture and some of the things we as Christians are, like ground that we're losing, is my wife more involved in that than I am? Um, and, and should I perhaps be uh, standing up in our family or standing up in our community or the schools or wherever you find yourself with all these issues that are starting to permeate our culture. I'm just wondering if maybe we got some barracks around where guys are like, oh, go, you go, honey, you know? Um, but that's not leadership. That's not what we as men are called. You know, I, I, I almost feel like in some ways I feel grieved and I'll tell you why. Um, um, I'm not, by the way, a Christian nationalist. Um, I'm not. I am a patriot, uh, and, and I'll tell you there's a difference, um, and we could get into this on another conversation, but um, you know, somehow Christian nationalism has, has sort of taken on a, a thing that I can't be on board with. Um, uh, do I think the United States is infallible? No. Do I think we've done a lot of things really, really wrong? Yes. I don't agree with a lot of what we've done. And I, I can't even say that even our history uh, th that we've done great with everything. Um, but I am a patriot. I love this country and I pray for this country and I, I, I love our flag and I, I, do, I, I really am a patriot. But, but I'm a citizen of heaven. Um, and, and I think somewhere along the way, some, some of the more Christian nationalist movement has, has kind of moved into a thing where it's almost like you know, your pride of this country is, is right there equal to your, you know, God and country. It's like they're almost on equal plane. And that's where I think, um, you know, Christian nationalism has kind of crossed some lines that I'm not willing to go. I don't want to go there. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I do feel as a patriot, you know, in, in, in my lifetime, it's, it's you know, it, under our watch, brothers, like this is something you and I have to think about here. 
under your and my watch. If, if you're a baby boomer or Gen Xer or a millennial, um, you know, we, we have lost our place in, on our watch. We have lost our place in our country as men leading a country in the way maybe our founders used to. Like if you study the history of our country, there were some brave, bold men of faith who stood to, to really, at the beginnings of our country, which made our country great for 200 years. And, and, and I do admit, you know, it was by the grace of God, you know, that, that you know, the way the, the hymn goes, God shed his grace on thee. Boy, that's true about this nation. But God shed his grace, but there were also men that God raised up to make that happen in our history. And what's, well, here's the problem. Uh, I think those men are all gone. It seems to me like there's a massive majority of men that are moving in the woke direction. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's amazing what we're watching these men do. And, and, um, and somehow, I, I mean, I don't want to sound demeaning or brutal, but they don't seem like men at all to me. Um, there's a big change in what a man is. And boy, we could talk about all kinds of stuff that gets into weird stuff. But, you know, um, uh, you know what, what if we on our watch allowed in our country, you know, marriage has been redefined. Even though Jesus said marriage is between a man and a woman, a lot of us just stood by and kind of, well, oh, the Supreme Court said it's uh, gay marriage is okay. So, so that, you know, along with the entire caving to the whole LGBTQIA plus uh, community, uh, you know, in our, it's on our watch. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was 20 years ago even, you know, we, we actually thought, you know, as a culture that still a lot of churches at least taught that, you know, homosexuality is a sin. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the unpardonable sin. It is a sin though. And that's what we used to teach. But now so many churches and leaders have just totally caved to the whole thing. And it's because I think we've lost our will to stand and lead and to be true men of, of God. Um, you know, we, we don't even know what a woman is. Biological males are now competing in female sports. Like, like, can you imagine ourselves, if you're an older gentleman here, uh, can you imagine us 30 years ago if we heard in the future, um, there'd be, you know, uh, you know, basically men swimming in women's events and winning and thinking it's awesome and getting a gold medal. And uh, like, you know, uh, even UFC fighters for crying out loud, like women just getting pummeled by men uh, and, and almost beaten to death. And then they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's, not, really a, that's not really a man, that's actually a woman. Um, we would have said people have totally lost their minds. Of course, we're saying that today, a lot of us, but, but are we really saying it? Um, that's the problem. Somehow we've sort of allowed this to sort of go on. And I just have to say on our watch, well, Brett, I'm not the president of the United States. Um, I'm not, you know, uh, in a place of, of uh, you know, authority or power. But as it turns out, um, this country, that's kind of how it was based, uh, you know, where we were supposed to, we were supposed to vote we were supposed to kind of watch and be you know, for the people, by the people, of the people, all that stuff. Uh, but somewhere, somehow on our watch, we've allowed social justice warriors to inflame racial division. Um, I, I believe that's happened on our watch. Um, you know, it's funny because racism in a lot of ways in this country was, was you know, headed in the right direction. I, I agree, racism is a horrible plague in our country. 
But man, after the civil rights movement and there was some really good movement uh, and, and, and man, you almost feel like, wow, you know, even though I wasn't in agreement with all of his politics, at least when Obama got elected, I was like, well, man, at least we've crossed that hurdle because, you know, man, the United States, we elected a black man into office and I was, I was actually happy about that. Um, I didn't like his politics, but I'm like, man, at least we got through that. that that's something that, you know, but then who would have thought that that presidency would begin a spiraling out of control? Um, and it's on our watch. We've seen racism and division become uglier than the pre-civil rights era. Like it's an amazing thing that we've watched on our watch, guys. It's, it's, it's during, during your, your and my time when, when we as men should be standing and perhaps you know, you know, speaking truth and with power and authority. Um, we believe the narrative you know, that, that we should be quiet uh, and keep our antiquated views to ourselves. Um, and we've been told that where you work, your workplace, whatever you do, don't, don't say what you believe. And if you do, you could be fired. And by the way, Daniel is now Daniela. And if you don't call her Daniela, you are gonna get fired. You're not part of the culture here at Intel or whatever, you know, uh, place you work. Um, we've been, our, we, we, we've, as men, We've apathetically allowed our kids to go to public schools without even really being aware of what they're actually doing and saying to your kids. It's amazing. The early church would have known nothing of sending your kids to secularist uh, people to be trained. Um, you know, we, we all still, some of us old guys, we still think they teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, but they don't teach those things anymore. Um, you know, arithmetic is racist. Uh, in, in Portland schools. Um, so minus the arithmetic and let's talk about pronouns and stuff like that. So, so a lot of dads are sending their kids off to school sort of mindlessly saying, ah, school's not that bad. Brett, you're way overreacting. Um, meanwhile, literally kids in our church and families and schools right next to us here have kids transitioning in second grade, giving these hormone blockers and, you know, puberty uh, inhibitors or whatever they call those things. <clears throat> and they say that they're, they're, they're not irreversible. You know, it's just a nice way to slow the process down. Yeah, it's funny because we're already starting to see young kids <clears throat> that, were, <clears throat> that were given that sort of option who are now realizing they didn't know what they were doing as it turns out in second grade. Isn't it amazing um, that we think a, a child that's in kindergarten can make a decision about anything uh, that's important in their lives. Uh, but our culture is just making that happen. And meanwhile, it, you know, no, no wonder kids are bailing out of the church. Um, you know, the cell phone in your teenager's hand is exponentially doing more to inform him or her of her uh, or his worldview than one hour of church a week. You say, bro, I bring my kids to Athey Creek and, you know, Nate and the guys down in the kids' wing, they're teaching them. But I fear that a lot of men are just sort of apathetic saying, yeah, the church, we're, you know, at least they're going to church with us. And, but if your kids are in public school, you, you've got to know what they're teaching. These local schools. I got to say this, it's not just public schools, but even Christian schools. You got to kind of watch out and be careful. It's amazing how Satan, I think, creeps into places that you would never expect. And some of you dads are like, well, yeah, my kid's in Christian school. I would just say this, watch out. Um, I've got amazing examples of kids that are being derailed in their faith by their Christian schools. 
Um, and that's just uh, kind of heartbreaking to me. So the, the question becomes here on this nice, beautiful Sunday morning, like Brett, we were hoping to have a happy topic today. <clears throat> um, the question becomes, are we men willing to pay the price of fidelity to scripture? See, that's the thing. Some of you might think, well, this is all politics you're talking about. No, I'm talking about being a man of the scriptures, of the Bible, a man of the word of God, and standing on it and speaking it and, and declaring it as truth. Um, I, I think that, you know, have Christian men succumbed um, so that distinctions between right and, and wrong are, are hardly defended at all. We, we just sort of passively say, well, that's, that's wacko, and we might say it in our hearts, um, but are we taking an extra effort to make sure that our families are being instructed in what is true? Because brothers, I think if you're a dad in this culture, you've got to work overtime. You have to put in your best effort uh, in family devotions. T today is a day where you gotta do family devotions. And you've gotta with, not just kind of tack on some sort of, well, the Bible says something about this and this. Not, not, no, actively getting together with your kids with a purpose and an intent to teach your kids what is actually true. Because the world is pounding on so many other platforms away at your kids. And, and what we're seeing today is dads and moms, well, I can't believe my kid has walked away from the Lord. And, and it's almost like, I just wanna shake him and say, are you kidding? Don't you know what, how much time and effort the world has put into your kids to try to woo them into this crazy worldview that we're seeing? And, and as dads, you've got to work overtime. You've got to have game on. When you get home from work, it's not time to, you know, put up your feet and, you know, watch football and say, well, I've worked all day. I'm providing for my home. Um, no, Th those days uh, have been long gone. Um, when you get home, that's the biggest part of your day. That's the most important part of your day. I, I think that's a secret in life, by the way. Um, what is the most important thing? And where are you spending your best hours? And a lot of you think, well, I get up early and I go to work and those are my best hours. But, but a lot of it, I think, is mental. Um, it, but if you realize your most important time is when, you're, when you get home, the kids get home from school and you're sitting around the dinner table, man, you've got work to do and you gotta have game on. Um, back in the old days when I used to compete in, in powerlifting, it's kind of funny because um, one of the things I learned was um, it's all about knowing when you were able to do your biggest lift. And, uh, you know, I used to, when I, when I was young in high school competing, I always did it wrong. If you remember lifting in high school, you just go and slam all the weights on and you just try to lift your heaviest thing and you're like, oh, you know, wow. Uh, but, but I started to learn and I actually started working with George. Who, I think he's shooting pheasants this morning. <laughs> so I could talk about George since he's not here. Um, no, but George, you know, he's a 65. He, when he was 65, uh, he, he lifted 615 pounds and nobody in the world drug free could lift as much as George. We'd go down to, what is this club sport now? It's Bayside or something somewhere. Um, but, but George would go down and put, we'd put 405 on the, on the, and he's 65 years old. He'd just go and rep, do a rep of 10 with 405, you know, um, and, and the, the staff would come and like, what's going on here? Like they, they didn't see that very, every day, an old, an old guy, you know, cranking up. But, but George is the one who kind of showed me, Brad, it's all about, you gotta, you gotta warm up, you gotta be ready, and you, and, you, and you lift a lot more than you think early to get to the point where you're ready for that big lift. Um, and and I, it's funny how that always stuck with me, uh, because it's true. 
Um, the way George would have us do it, you start with the bar. That was a little embarrassing. You're just kind of lifting the bar and everybody's like, what a wimp. And then you put up 45 on each side and you just kind of start doing reps of 40 or whatever. And then you put a couple more and you just start, but you think, but I'm getting tired. Nope, that's just your day. That's just getting it done. And then pretty soon you start putting on the big weights and, and, and then you just make sure you don't overdo it. But you, this is what you got to do, guys. Your big lift is when you get home and be with your families. You've gotta be ready to push the weight right there. And uh, you, but I'm tired. Nope, that's just the enemy and that's laziness and that's apathy. Um, but you've gotta come home and, and be on fire, ready to go. Um, if you're a grandfather, when you get that precious time with your grandkids, you can you know, talk about all the old stories when you were a kid, or you can talk about things you've learned about Jesus Christ and being a faithful follower of him and, and instilling into your, your grandchildren uh, stuff that they really need to know and hear. Like, that's so important. And so this, this question, you know, have, have we, uh, you know, not stood for what's right or wrong and we kind of let, well, we let our wives do it or the women do it or whatever. Um, we're not called to that. In fact, Ephesians chapter four I'm gonna have you turn to some scripture here in a second, uh, but I'm just giving you some of the highlights here. Ephesians 4, uh, Paul tells us this, that says that we uh, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is, is the word teaching and it's teaching you know, you know, what we believe. Uh, but not being tossed by all the winds of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby uh, they lie in wait to deceive. That's exactly what's been happening. But, verse 15 is the key, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in, uh, uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Um, this is what we admit, we're not to be tossed to and fro. That's what's happening. I think that men have bought into, well, nobody wants to hear from us and whatever you do, don't say something that'll get you canceled and, and we've become fearful and apathetic. But here the Bible's saying, don't be tossed around like that, but speaking the truth in love. Man, what a challenge that is. It's so easy to be a person who speaks the truth in fiery hatred or disgust. That's easy today. But man, to speak the truth but also to try to do it in a loving way, oh, that's the challenge, especially, you know, as a pastor, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me because, you know, I get kind of fired up sometimes when I see some of the evil that's going on in our culture. And it's hard for me to sometimes sit up here with a smile on my face and say, hey, we gotta love the Lord, follow Jesus. You know, part of me wants to, you know, sometimes shake people up and say, are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing? Uh, but but, but that's, that's the trick. You and I as men, we do need to speak the truth, but it's also gotta be covered in love. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two through five, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. What does that mean? Um, you gotta be ready. You know, some of you guys, uh, you know, do your elk hunting and uh, you get all ready, you know, and you get your, your uh, loads all the way you like them and you got your gun all ready to go and sights all sighted in and optics are done, you're ready to go. And, and it's just that one time you're ready to go and that's great, but uh, picture being ready all the time. Uh, it's, it's like, who does that? I'll tell you who does that, military personnel. They make sure they have the right loads and they have the right optics and that, like all the time. All, but why? Because, well, they're actually in a battle. Um, sometimes I feel like men are Christian are like, we're like the weekend warrior hunter when we gotta realize, oh, wait a minute, uh, this life is a battlefield. That's what it means. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. <laughs> Reprove. 
rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Like this is what we as men are called to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Um, We could do word studies on all those words, by the way, and it's kind of interesting what all those mean. Um, But do it with all long suffering. Don't get worn out. Don't don't be impatient. Um, And doctrine, that is teaching. Verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, this is the sad thing. Um, we're watching this happen in the church of America. Not just, I mean, this should be all of us as men. I, I think this Second Timothy 4 applies to all of us. We're all ordained ministers. You know, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you. Like, congratulations, brothers. You guys are all ordained ministers according to scripture. Um, but what's really sad is watching this verse prophetically come to pass in the days that we're living where more and more churches and pastors and ministries, um, they've, they've, they've gotten to a place where people just wanna you know, hear things that, you know, is, it's the itching ears kind of thing. Let's just only hear the things that we wanna hear, um, but not the things that are controversial or divisive. And so a lot of churches have gone that way. And what's interesting, by the way, is there's kind of a thing in America where um, a lot of pastors are like, what's going on? Things are crazy, people leaving our churches but I have to humbly suggest the reason is not just because of apostasy. Uh, That's why people are leaving the church. No, it's also because I think the congregation's starting to sense that from the pulpits in America, they're getting stuff that's just not even really true. It's not the solid word of God, it's the word of men and and they're not teaching scripture or or maybe a little scripture tacked on that's sort of twisted to fit sort of the the day. Um, But man, that's why I think churches, If you're a church that's failing and you're watching this uh, here in America, can I give you some advice? Teach the whole Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and don't don't cave, don't and don't be afraid of controversial topics, and don't be a wimp when it comes to things like Bible prophecy. Oh, it's too divisive. That's wimpy. One fourth of the Bible is Bible prophecy. It talks about the future events, and so many pastors. Ah, it's just too controversial. It's time to man up and, and teach the Bible. That's, that's, that's how I say it. I'm just trying to help churches that are failing. Um, you know, even here in the Portland area, churches that were once on track and doing really well have bailed from that, uh, all in the name of social justice or wokeism or uh, whatever the thing might be, and it's so sad to see. Um, and by the way, if you think Athe Creek's prideful, we're not the perfect church. Uh, it's amazing God could use weak and foolish things, but I, that's why the Athe, I think, is doing well, is because we are so weak and foolish. Lord says, I can use that, that church. Um, that, that's the way we feel. And our leadership, we are constantly praying for local churches here. We do. We pray that the Lord will do a work in people's hearts, and especially men's hearts, that they won't be sucked into this, uh, where it says here in 2 Timothy that you know, they'll have, uh, after their own lusts, heap themselves teachers, having itching ears. And verse four, <clears throat> they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. This is Paul saying the same thing I'm saying, only in King James language. It's, um, we need to man up, step up, teach the Bible, not just in the church, but in our families, in our homes, stand up to speak the truth and to speak it with boldness. Um, I believe that, that men today need to have a change to be better equipped uh, for the challenges of today. What's the best thing you can do 
to equip yourself for the day we're living. I do believe there's one thing that I'd like to say that's possibly the best thing that you could do. Because if you just walk away from this thing, okay, Brad, I'm gonna go do it. Um, <clears throat> here's the problem is, are you really equipped to go and do what the Lord's called you? And there's one thing that's really essential that I think we don't talk about enough, perhaps, that, um, that you can't go out of this room without kind of knowing about this. Um, and, and there's a little story there. I'll tell you the story, then we'll call it a morning. Um, but turn with me to John chapter 20. Uh, we're gonna kind of bounce through the, the early church story here just for a second. John chapter 20. <clears throat> this is after Jesus died on the cross um, and now he has risen from the grave. Um, but this is where uh, Jesus kind of shows up, just pops into the scene. And there's some attributes of Jesus in his resurrection that are kind of interesting. Like he would just show up in a room and then disappear. Like that was after the resurrection. There was a different kind of mode that Jesus was in there, but <clears throat> this is what's going on. Um, <clears throat> what was happening is Jesus was just crucified by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas. And now the disciples are totally freaked out. Um, and you, you can understand why. I mean, we, we can't be too hard on the disciples because they just watched their leader like uh, completely tortured in a most horrific kind of way. And they kind of had a sense that they might just be next as the followers of Jesus. So that's where we pick up the story here in verse 19 of John 20. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. What were they? Fearful. They were afraid of the Jews. Um, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. I love this. Jesus doesn't come to them and say, shame on you. Because um, these disciples, you know, Jesus had already given them enough to know that what was gonna happen was gonna work out. But I can't say that I would be any different. I mean, these poor disciples, they're freaked out, but Jesus doesn't say shame on you. He says, peace be unto you. Verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. <clears throat> then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. What's going on here? <clears throat> well, this is actually what Jesus talked about earlier. Um, it's, it's interesting because on this idea of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is the topic at hand. And I wanna show you what happens to a, a Spirit-filled man, a man that is truly filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens to that man? This is the crux of the matter here that I think we have to talk about. And as we often remind you guys, I'm gonna remind you again today, there, the Bible gives us three relationships you and I have with the Holy Spirit. And it has to do with the preposition. Uh, and the first one is um, the Holy Spirit. Before you were even saved, and you can jot this down because this is an important thing to know, and it's also important to remember, um, the Holy Spirit is um, with you. Before you were even a Christian, the Holy Spirit is with you. Um, you know, when you were an unbelieving man and somebody dragged you to church or you saw the Billy Graham crusade or whatever it was, the Holy Spirit was tapping you on the shoulder before you were even saved. That's the with. The word with there is the operative preposition. The Holy Spirit is with you. Um, and by the way, John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth, Jesus said, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you 
and shall be in you. There's the different preposition. Do you see what Jesus just did there? He said, the Holy Spirit is with you to his early disciples. And then later on, he says that the Holy Spirit's not just gonna be with you, he will be in you. So question, when did the Holy Spirit go in the disciples, the, the preposition there. Well, uh, let's take a look. These, um, you, you never, by the way, would have been born again unless the Holy Spirit had been with you, whispering in your ear, God loves you, wants to save you. Um, you know, remember, by the way, without the with, you would have never been saved. I, I want you to know that. Like the Holy Spirit was with you, whether you know it or not. Um, do you remember Romans 3.11? It says, there's no, no one that truly seeks after God. Um, John uh, 1, 13, we are born again, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. It's God's sovereignty that puts his spirit there with you, tapping you on the shoulder before you're even saved. A person not, can't on his own say, hmm, I think I wanna become a Christian. Um, it's actually the Holy Spirit that is with him. Um, so, so that's the first relationship. The Holy Spirit is first. Spirit is first with you, but the number two one is then he will be in you. And that's what Jesus predicted. He is with you, but he shall be in you. So when did the Holy Spirit <clears throat> come in to the disciples? It's right here in our text of John 20, where Jesus now is resurrected. Um, and by the way, this, this is something that if you have your Bible uh, understanding, John 14 and John 16, Jesus said, it's gonna be really good that I leave you. And can you imagine the disciples going, yeah, it's not good that you're gonna leave us. Uh, no, no, Jesus, it's expedient that I leave you because I'm gonna not leave you comfortless. I'm gonna give you the Comforter, capital C, and the Holy Spirit, which is, it will remind you of truth. And remember that, there's a whole dissertation there. Read John 14, John 16 chapters that Jesus is saying, this is gonna be awesome that I'm leaving you because I'm not leaving you without the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's when he said, he is with you, but he shall be in you. So then Jesus pops into the room. They're shaking in their sandals, totally fearful for the Romans, for the Jews. They're, they're afraid they're gonna be tortured like Jesus was. And then Jesus shows up and says, peace be unto you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is where the Holy Spirit was in the disciples. Um, you know, it's interesting because you can debate when was the very first Christian, um, you know, uh, you know, and the Christian is a, is, is a person that really kind of, is, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that's when the Christian church began. Christianity started um, after the resurrection of Jesus. But these are the guys that Jesus breathes and the Holy Spirit then is in them. That's what it says there. He said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he breathed on them. What an interesting part of the story. Now, some people say, and, and uh, I don't, I'm not gonna get into cessationism, and, and maybe if you're raised in the Baptist tradition, which um, I, I was, uh, had some of that myself when I was a kid. Um, and some people say, well, the Holy Spirit's not really for today, and speaking in tongues, and everybody gets all hung up on, on these things. But, um, but if you just do a real honest read of the Bible, um, then Jesus tells these guys, now, um, now there's something else here. It's not just the Holy Spirit with you, um, but he shall be in you. Um, and then he says, but also there's a third relationship that you're gonna have. And now let's fast forward, flip the page to the right, just one page to Acts chapter one. And in Acts chapter one, look, Jesus shows up again and speaks to them. It's Acts chapter one, verse four. And there in verse four it says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait, Jesus said, for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. 
what, what promise the, the, did they hear of Jesus? Well, here it is, verse four. For John, J the B, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore came together, uh, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? See, the guys are still trying to figure out, when are you gonna be the king? Um, and Jesus is gonna be the king, but that's the millennial kingdom. There's still a lot of history that has to go by before that. So they're like, what's going on? And verse seven, Jesus said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, not go and witness. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Samaria, uh, Judea and Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. The disciples are about to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, call it what you want right here. Um, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then because of that, you'll go into the Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why you and I are Christians today here in Portland, Oregon, because the apostles went and spread the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the word power there in verse, um, verse eight, and you shall receive power. That's the word I love. And we always like to point it out because it's a word that we all love, dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. Um, and um, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man and a man is spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, the word is power, the ability to perform given the strength or ability to perform an activity. That's the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. Um, um, you say, okay, Brett, so, so that third relationship, what is that? Well, notice it says here, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, that's kind of the word, verse eight. After that, you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon. That's the third uh, reference there. Now, before we put that on our list, turn to Acts two, just, just go to the right a little bit there. In Acts chapter two, when did the Holy Spirit come upon? Was it when Jesus breathed on them in John 20? No, that was the Holy Spirit coming in. But it's here in Acts chapter two, uh, verse one. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, um, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak uh, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, you see, what's happening here is this is where the day of Pentecost is where the, the upon relationship. First with, then in, and then the third one is the coming upon. And this happens in Acts chapter two. Now, you say, well, whatever, Brett, what does that have to do with me? Well, notice the disciples. You gotta kind of follow the disciples um, after the upon experience happens. Um, in fact, fast forward uh, to... Um, um, well, here's the problem. Everybody gets hung up on the tongues thing. Oh, they speak in tongues. And was it tongues men understood? Yep, their own languages, speaking in tongues. And we can get into that. And I've done whole sermons on speaking in tongues and what the Bible talks about that. I'm not gonna go into all that today. But I feel like tongues gets way too much press. And everybody misses the point. Do you speak in tongues or don't you speak in tongues? And there's some wacko people that say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not even a Christian. That's just dumb. I'm sorry if you've been told that uh, growing up in a Pentecostal church, uh, no. But read 1 Corinthians 14. Speaking in tongues is cool, 
but it's, 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 Paul says it's the least of the gifts. Um, you know, it's better to speak words of understanding than words of, of tongues. That's what Paul the apostle says. That's what the Bible says. So let's, let's put the tongues thing aside for a second and see what actually happened here. Yes, they spoke in tongues. But then it says, Peter, verse 14, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said to them, you men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be it known to you this day and hearken to my words. And then he goes and preaches the first sermon of the Christian church right here. And it's a powerful sermon. And how do I know that it's a powerful sermon? Does anybody remember how many people were saved when, when he does sort of the altar call at the end? 3,000 people heard Peter's sermon and, and came to Christ. That even makes Billy Graham look like a pipsqueak uh, when it comes to people being saved in a sermon. And, and why, what happened between John chapter 20 and Acts chapter two. In John chapter 20, we have Peter being totally freaked out, hiding out with all the disciples for fear of the Jews. And then suddenly in Acts chapter two, he's standing in front of a huge crowd proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened to him? The Holy Spirit came upon him. Just like, by the way, the language of the upon is so important. It's all in the Old Testament too. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he slew Philistines and took gates and hauled them 30 miles up a mountain and like, like, you know, tied foxes' tails. Like all the things that Samson did, it was when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In fact, that, that coming upon uh, by the Holy Spirit happens over and over again. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch, you know, uh, what happens here. In, in fact, um, you know, so we see the people saved. In fact, in verse 38, just check that out real quick. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 38 through 41. Um, we won't read that whole thing, but Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of, of, of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter's not saying this is just for me and for this time period. He's saying for uh, you, the believers, shall receive the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 41, then they were gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3000 souls. Like that's, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man. God can use a goofball like Peter. Normally Peter had foot and mouth disease, but suddenly Peter's saying things that are way past his pay scale. How's that happen? The coming upon of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God using the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. Fast forward, Acts chapter five. We're almost done. Acts chapter five, verse 17. It says there in Acts five seventeen. then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They're angry. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, stand, speak, in the temple of the people, all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered in the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and uh, they that were with them and called the council together and all the Senate and the children of Israel and, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, found them not in the prison, they returned and told saying, the prison truly we found, we shut, shut with all safety and the keepers standing without the, before the doors but when we had opened, we found no man within. Like, can you imagine that? That's great. Where did they go? We lost our prisoners. Now, verse 24, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they, were, they doubted of them 
whereunto this would grow. In other words, uh-oh, we can't let this word get out. Sounds like some of the manipulation of information today. Then came one that told them saying, behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people uh, lest they should have been stoned. Who's fearing now? The disciples were afraid of these same guys in Acts chapter 20. Who's afraid now? It's the people that realize God is powerful and they don't know what to do about it. And there's these guys, the disciples who, they marvel earlier that they're unlearned and ignorant men. But they're saying, these guys now were afraid. Um, then um, it says, verse 27, when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in, in, in his name? That's the same thing they're telling you on your job site or in your community or your kids in your schools. They're, they're saying, don't say the name of Jesus and whatever you do, don't say Christmas, say winter solstice or whatever stupid thing they're telling us to say. And that's what they're saying to these guys. So what do you do? Um, didn't we tell you not to say his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Brothers, you and I, we need to fill Portland with the doctrine of the word of God. Um, I'm doing what I can here in the context of church, but you guys have to do the, what you do in the context of life. Um, we gotta fill this place with the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is good stuff. Verse 29, check this out. So they're saying, you have filled the, stop speaking, Jesus. You guys, what are you doing? Then, this is great, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Ha, wow, Peter, the, the guy shaking in the sandals just a, a, a few days earlier, now he's here boldly speaking right into the face of these same guys that crucified Jesus. What happened? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's the Holy Spirit what happens when a man is filled with the Spirit and the coming upon? You see, the, you can debate the tongues and all the other stuff. And, and man, again, if you're, if you're hung up on that, uh, I'd really encourage you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We did a whole teaching on the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we've talked about that in whole sermons on speaking in tongues and what that's all about. But I fear that a lot of guys get hung up on some of this stuff. Um, by the way, there's a good book. I forget the author's name. It's called Power Lines. And it's a book about um, basically the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moved through various pastors and leaders throughout uh, the, the church ages and what have you. And it's basically funny because even some of the guys that didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in their own words, they, they still believed in the power of the Holy Spirit coming on them. And it's all about language and syntax, but, but most, most people, whether they know it or not, um, they were, there was a lot of men that were filled with the Holy Spirit and God used them mightily. Whether their doctrine was you know, cessationist or whatever, it's kind of funny to, to watch. The Lord will use people. But you and I, as guys, we need, in these days we're living, more than ever, I think, we can't just put it in cruise control and try to do what God's called us to do by our own might or by our own power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord that we're gonna see real power imparted in these days that we're living. So, you know, you say, okay, Brett, that's great and all that. Uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, 
Um, but but um, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, it says in Luke 11, this is probably the most famous. Um, Luke 11, 13, if you then being evil, which we are, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, which we do, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Um, how do you get the Holy Spirit to come upon you? Um, by the way, it's the same way uh, you received salvation by faith and by asking and saying, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? And, and by asking and receiving Jesus, you were saved in the same way if you ask the Lord, Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter eight, Peter and John tried to lay uh, or laid hands on uh, some of the believers in Samaria and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what happened there in Acts chapter eight? Um, Simon, the resident magician, observed the scene and he said, hey, that's a pretty cool trick, um, Peter. Can I buy that trick from you? The magician seeing Peter lay hands and suddenly people are power, empowered to serve the Lord and the magician's like, I want that. And Peter looked at Simon the sorcerer and said, your money perish with you. Do you remember that whole story? Um, it, was, it was obvious enough that the Holy Spirit was coming upon the early church that even this magician wacko said, I wanna purchase that but that's not how you do it. You don't purchase the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a gift. It cannot be purchased, uh, not with money. You can't make the Holy Spirit coming on with intensity uh, or being pure or amazing. Um, it's a gift that's received by faith. That's how the Holy Spirit comes upon a person. Um, so uh, Jesus um, um, tells these guys, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you'll be able to see great power come. So, well, you, you say, Brett, what, what's the deal with that? Well, one of the reasons I love the Old Testament is it's chock full of fearful men who also were filled with the Spirit. Um, if you could picture Joshua, for example, if you know the Bible story of Joshua, do you think he was a brave guy or a fearful guy? I think he was very brave, um, but at the end of the story, at the beginning of the story, I wonder if Joshua was a little bit, maybe, boy, forgive me, Joshua, if you're in heaven listening right now. Maybe he was a little bit chicken. And I'll tell you why. Do you know how many times the Lord told Joshua in Joshua chapter one to be strong and of good courage? Four times, four times. Like sometimes you kind of go, well, there's something going on there. Uh, and it sounded something like this. And, and like Joshua chapter one, verse nine, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And, and even the people said at the end, Joshua, uh, we'll follow you, only be strong and of good courage. Like even the people, I think, perceive that somehow Joshua is maybe just a little nervous, but somewhere along the way, I believe the spirit of the Lord came upon Joshua. And Joshua became one of the bravest guys in the Old Testament, did some pretty amazing things. You don't know one of the bravest things that Joshua did, I think maybe, is when he said this thing, and this is, this is the last thing I'm gonna show you, is Joshua 24, 15, when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was the guy saying that when everybody else was like, uh, we're gonna worship Baal, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. Joshua was like, nope, as for, I don't care what you say, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Here's a guy who's filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man, and I think there's no stopping what God can do through that man. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, saith the Lord of hosts. That's what the scriptures say. So in this culture, you can either cower to the pressures of what 
toxic masculinity is or um, you know, the various things about men that are just really, uh, you know, people hate today and, and you can buy in and pipe down and cower and, and whatever, or you and I as men can stand up. And I'm not talking about being obnoxious, beating people over the head with the Bible or anything like that. I'm talking about men um, speaking the truth in love with power and with authority. Um, and and if, if all of you guys um, were to say, you know what, I'm not gonna just let people say things around my family or in my life that are just totally untrue things. I'm gonna speak the truth in love. And I'm gonna ask that every day, I'm gonna say, Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and have the Spirit come upon me so that I won't use my own words, but they'll be the words of the Lord being spoken. And I'll tell you, um, you do that and you'll see like Peter, James, John, even the Sanhedrin start to get a little nervous and realize there's a greater power than what they think they possess. Um, Brett, do you really think there's hope for our country and our world? Um, there, I don't know. I don't know if, there, if there's gonna be revival. I, I, it seems like these might be the last days, but I don't know. So we should go about the business. We should occupy until he comes. But even still, even if this is the end of the United States, you and I, we shouldn't just say, well, it's the end. We should be busy protecting our kids, our families, our communities, and talking about the truth and, and not being afraid to speak doctrine and truth. That's my prayer for you guys on this Saturday morning, to be, to be brave, courageous, spirit-filled men. We need today spirit-filled men. That's the deal in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, even in this group, even of the guys watching online, Lord, we don't wanna be the, the guys shaking in the corner and just saying nothing and minding our own business, Lord. Uh, as we see that in history, we realize that doesn't really work out very well for anyone. But when men that are filled with your spirit step up and lean on you and trust in you and speak your word, Lord, we see unstoppable power where you do mighty works, even in the midst of persecution or failing nations, Lord, uh, your word just plows right through all of that. Um, that's what we pray, Lord, that you would use us in that way. I pray that as we're living in dark times, Lord, that we would be salt and light more than ever. Lord, bless my brothers with just uh, this, not the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So help us with that, Lord. Bless these guys, Lord, with strength, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.